You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Imagine, if you will, a tall seventh grader, six feet, 120 pounds, braces, pimples, carrying an armful of books from science class to the lunchroom, and two pretty girls are walking. And they look at each other and they... One of them waves at this tall seventh grader. They go on their way, but he doesn't. Over the next 23 hours and 59 minutes and 30 seconds, he is planning his, his response and his steps. And he is sure that this will be a moment of destiny. <laughs> and sure enough, the next day, he's walking Make sure to have one arm free, and as they're approaching, he gives one of these. And they look at each other and laugh and go on their way. The wedding's over. No kids in the future between these two. Dream is dashed, another disappointment for an awkward middle schooler. And a question continues to rattle in his brain, but it doesn't just stay there. It goes down to his heart. God, can you possibly use me? Good morning, friends. How are you? I'm Andy. (laughs) And I've just taken you back to perhaps some of the worst moments of your life. I don't know. But we all have those moments of just, God, can you really use me? And today, we're going to ask a lot of questions. That's just one scenario. There's lots of things, perhaps, that make us feel like we're disqualified. God, you can't use me. Do you ever feel disqualified watching at home? Maybe you're watching online because you don't feel like you can step foot in a church. We've heard people say, the building will burn down for all the things that I've done. And it's not true because I'm on stage. <laughs> the building's still, still standing. I'm sinful. We think about our really bad sins that nobody knows about, that that disqualifies us from serving God, from making a difference in this world. We think about the car ride to church today and how we yell at our kids again because that's that's what we do. We just yell because they don't stop doing that one thing that we want them to do. I'm disqualified. I'm not a pastor or a missionary or a priest. I'm not special like those guys. I'm certainly not good enough. Have you ever asked those questions? Or perhaps have people said that about you? You're not good enough. I know what you've done. You can't serve kids. You can't go on a missions trip. You can't fill in the blank. If people really knew. Today, as we continue walking through Exodus, I hope God answers those deep down questions that you have that you might not have even voiced. And not just in a general sense, like we've been seeing in Exodus, if you've been with us the past several weeks, if you've been following along in the devotions, not just I'm God and I'm big and and that's the end of the story. I hope today he answers you in a very personal way, a father to a son, a father to a daughter, because that's honestly the God that I, I grew up with. When I'd come home from school or basketball practice, I'd go down to my basement and I'd have my TV here, the big 25-incher that would have the sports on. Then I'd have my 13-inch screen that I'd be playing video games on. And and it's funny, during this series, it made me 
remember this. And this is actually a blue video game. It's a Nintendo game called Bible Adventures. Take a look at one of the games within that game. You get to carry, you get to be Noah and carry animals to the ark. Isn't that the greatest? Up in the booth, Joanna said, I played that game growing up. And I was like, wow, there's somebody else. I didn't think anybody else played it. I would brag to my friends at school. Well, friends is a strong word. People that I went to school with that knew me, that I hoped would be my friend, but weren't. I'd say, I play, I got this cool Bible Adventures game on Nintendo, and they just kind of, (laughs) whatever. But I loved it. But as I would play that video game, I got to know this father, this God who meets me right there, and he's meeting you today. And, And it's funny how God works. Just yesterday, I was sitting up in the balcony next to my friend Andrew. We were joking around as we watched Annie Jr. The school put on a beautiful production of Annie Jr. It was so good. You can clap. Yeah, it was really good. And my daughter, she wasn't Annie. She wasn't Daddy Warbucks. She wasn't one of these prominent figures in the play. She was an orphan. And she had three different songs that she participated in. And as I sat in the balcony, my friend, his kids weren't in the play. So he got to enjoy the whole show. And he was watching the big personalities. But I was focused in on my girl. And as a father, I was just so proud to see her throw her broom and then catch it from her friend. And, and just so much joy in her heart for getting to perform. And I saw a couple times she, she, she didn't quite do it right. There was a little misstep. And I wasn't up in the, up in the balcony saying, oh, why didn't she do that right? And I, I was up in the balcony saying, oh, I love that girl. And it's okay. And she recovered each time and it was beautiful. I want you this morning to listen to this story knowing the father with that kind of heart because he is looking at each one of you and he's saying, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you're here. We're gonna work through this together, whatever it is. That's the father, God, that we're getting to know. So chapter 19 is where we are in our journey through Exodus. If you have a Bible, feel free to pull it out, whether it's an app or Bible here in the church. It's so good for me to, to follow along because I know that God's going to pop different things out. He might have something completely different for you today that's not anything that I say, and that is awesome. I want God to speak to you right where you need to be. So feel free to follow along. If not, we'll have them on the screen as well. But chapter 19, we've been saying... We've known a lot of the Israelite stories already, right? We've seen the grumbling. We've seen the victories. Sometimes they say, God, we're with you. And sometimes they say, Moses, we know you can do it. And then they say, Moses, why can't you do it? God, where are you? And I love the Bible. It's so relatable. Because I asked those same questions, just like Brett prayed. It was so beautiful. He was angry at God. And some may have said, ooh, ooh, are we allowed to be angry at God? Yes, God knows our hearts. And so why wouldn't we express exactly how we're feeling? I'm in a men's text group every day. We read a chapter of the Bible. So we've been going through Exodus with the church. And it's been so cool to hear new insights. And we have lots of jokes as well. One guy's driving home right now from a a trip to Illinois listening in. And it's just so cool to grow together. And I talk so much about this group because it's been so good for me. But so many times we're saying, yeah, I can relate to the Israelites. I I would have said the same thing. I would have doubted. I would have been like, where's my steak dinner? I'm done with quail. I need something else. Although what Matt said last week about the, the manna and how there's a theory that when you taste it, it becomes whatever you want in your mouth. Like I can get behind that. 
I can, I can imagine Moses being like, this tastes like a Reese's peanut butter cup, and I'm not sure why. I've never heard of this, but that's what it tastes like 4,000 years ago or so. So I love that, but I love that the Bible's so relatable. All the characters are flawed except Jesus. And so we can kind of journey along with them, even though we don't live in the desert. And as I look at this community, these Israelites, I see that God is not willing to just leave them in the muck. He's a good coach. Have you ever thought about that? God's a coach. What is a coach? I was involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Ohio, and we did coaches' Bible studies, basically. We had coaches' groups. I loved it. And this guy named Jeff Duke, who coached alongside Bobby Bowden at Florida State University, told us the definition of a coach. Would you believe coach comes from the word stagecoach? Think about a stagecoach. I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you sure? This seems like a stretch. But a stagecoach, what does it do? Back, turn of the century, before then, whenever I'm not very historical, it would carry people of importance or goods of importance from a place they knew to a place they didn't know. The Wild West, the Great Frontier. That's what a coach does. It takes people of importance, our kids, if you think of a youth sports coach, it takes them from a place they know they can kick a soccer ball to a place they didn't know was possible, being a really good soccer player. And God does the same thing with us, except he's the best coach, because not only does he know our potential, but he knows us. I can imagine God, when he was creating us in the secret place, that's what the psalm said. I can imagine a cook putting just the right amount of spice. Oh, I know what Andy's going to need to get through this moment in his life. And I know what Sheila's going to need in this situation. And I'm going to create her just special so that in that circumstance where everything seems against her, it is so hard that she has what it takes to persevere. And I'm going to place these people in their lives so that when they go through a hard time, there's someone to walk through. And then when they go through that hard time and they've gotten on the other side of it, they have someone that they can reach out to and share those same experiences with. And they can mourn and they can cry and they can help and they can encourage. I just imagine God being so good at doing that. Maybe that's the connections pastor in me. He's always connecting dots. I love it. God's the best coach. He knows you. He knows your potential, but more importantly, he knows your heart. All right, Exodus 19, verse 1. On the first day, third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So we're roughly 90 days after they've been rescued from Egypt. So they remember a little bit of that, but we've also heard last week, if you, if you had a chance to be with us, there was grumbling. And so you got this community of people that they remember what God's done, but they don't remember what God's done. Verse three says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you fully obey and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. There's a reminder from God. Everything's mine, guys, and I want to choose you. I want you to be the ones 
that show people me. You, in verse six says, will be my, a kingdom for me of priests, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is covenant language. We don't deal a whole lot with covenants. We do some contracts. We've got a lot of written documents in our culture, but covenant language is different. It's more personal. The Bible Project, who we love here at Kingsway, they do such a great job unpacking the historical truths and the context of scripture. Bible Project says covenants contain defined obligations and commitments, but they differ from a contract in that they're relational and personal. Relational and personal. Think of a marriage. In love, a husband and wife choose to enter into a formal relationship, binding themselves to one another in lifelong faithfulness and devotion. Then they work as partners to reach a common goal, like building a career, raising children together. That's covenant. As we were reading that passage, my unfaithful mind went to, this is impossible, God. This covenant you're asking your people is impossible. Read it again. Verse five says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. God, do you remember the garden? Do you remember Satan tempted Eve and then Eve fell and then Adam fell and then all of us after that have fell? Are you sure you know what you're doing? I can't keep it. I know my neighbor can't keep it. What are you doing, God? This doesn't make sense. This is impossible. And then it got me thinking more because I go down that rabbit trail. Why in the world did I think of that first? Why didn't I jump to verse six where he's promising us we can be a kingdom of priests? Why, why am I so stuck on what I can't do instead of what God can do? And I was humbled in that moment that God, I do that all the time. I forget what you can do because I'm so focused on what I can't. God wants to bring us back to that perfect garden where we're walking with him in the cool of the morning and we'll get there when he returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. In the end, Jesus wins and we're excited about that. But until then, he does offer us this. We can be a kingdom of priests. What is a priest? Does that sound good at all to you? Do you want to be a priest? Is that something we should all aspire to? Well, a priest is someone who works in sacred space that mediates between people and God. What's that really mean? When I think of priests, I think of Priest Holmes running back for the Baltimore Ravens and Kansas City Chiefs. He was good for like three years. I think of the Padres, the San Diego Padres, because Padre means father, and it was all wrapped up in that. I think of my friends in the German Catholic towns of West Central Ohio that settled in those towns hundreds of years ago, and they each have this giant Catholic church in each community. And in each church, a thousand people, 2,000 people in this community, there's a father. And I remember my friend, Father Rick, who was in Minster, Ohio, who passed away uh, not too long ago. And he'd go to the basketball games and, and people saw him almost as royalty, as he is a man of God and we are just the people. And and Father Rick was awesome and, and just a very unique personality. He had a, he'd have his collar on like a good priest would. And he gave me a Minster Wildcat bobblehead one time at a basketball game. And I was like, this is weird. I don't know. Should I accept this? But thank you. <laughs> but he's like, imagine a priest clicking a bobblehead and the little Wildcat going like that. It was, it was, it was great. 
but he was a really cool guy. <laughs> but anyway, the whole point of that is that they see priests as set apart. They see that guy as better than them. We at Kingsway believe if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized, you're on equal footing as Pastor Matt, as myself, as the staff, as anybody. We are all on the same ground because Jesus is our high priest. And we all have access to God because of what Jesus has did. So please don't, I want you to hear me say, we are with you. We are you. And together we get to be a part of the kingdom of priests. You, me, you, every one of us. That's important to realize. In the coming chapters of Exodus, we're going to see God set up kind of like that priesthood that I just talked about, where Aaron is the chief priest, and then through his lineage, all these other priests come. But God is saying, that's going to be something different down the road, where every one of my followers are a kingdom of priests. I find that interesting, that he's teasing us some 4,000 years before. We are his kingdom of priests, his children. Let's get back to Exodus. Verse 8. The people all responded, Of course, God, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. I get to be close to God? Yes, I will do that. I get to be a priest? I don't, I don't fully get that, but let's do that. I want to be with him. And so the Israelites, here they are again. We're with you, God. We are completely in. The Lord said to Moses, as a good coach would, he shows us the plan. He says, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Do you see that? God is propping up Moses. He is giving Moses credibility and authority. We love to build people who build people here at Kingsway. We love to give away ministry, which means going to a team and saying, hey, I see the promise in this guy next to me. I'm so excited that he gets to lead you. Look around in your life and see how you can build up others and give them leadership. It's great in the business world. It's great in your family. It's great here at Kingsway. It's so important. And we see God do it to Moses in a beautiful way. Then Moses told the Lord what the people would say. They're in, God. I think we got them. I think they're ready. They're going to actually follow through on everything. Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. God is coming. He is coming to his people. What a great celebration this is going to be, but we got to wash our clothes. What is that about? Does it mean we have to look nice for church? No ripped jeans? Got to have my tie on? Clothes, and clean clothes in scripture means so much more. It's so Deep, and it doesn't mean outward appearance. Look at Revelation 22, 14. We read about another set of clean clothes, and this is so powerful because this is the end. This is when Jesus is ushering us into the final kingdom, when the heavens and the earth come together, and it's a new heavens and a new earth. And it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. That's identity language. Clothing indicates ethics, and ethics, how we behave, is based on what part of a community we are, what community we belong to. And when we're talking about identity, when we're talking about 
ethics when we're talking about community. That's kingdom language. You are part of a new kingdom. Jason, who was baptized last service, when he came out of the water, he said, I felt something different and I saw my community with me. That's why we love baptism so much. So many different reasons, but you are stepping into a new community. We talk about it in starting point. Jesus showed us that example. He didn't need to repent of his sins to be baptized. He was perfect, but he said, this is the way into this new kingdom, and he was baptized. Can God really use me? Yeah, I hear you, Andy. I hear that, and it's rattling around in my head, but I don't feel qualified. Yes, I'm in his family. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've been baptized. I get all that, but I still, man, I'm not perfect. I don't know enough. I don't feel qualified. I feel like an awkward seventh grader walking to lunch. (laughs) Paul tells us otherwise in Colossians. And I think it's God speaking through Paul that says that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to the glorious might that he has so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He puts together a list of things that are coming out of our life. He puts together fruit. He gives us patience and endurance. He's asking us to live a life worthy of the Lord. There's action in there. We're taking steps forward, but why are we qualified? Verse 13 says why. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's Jesus. That's a good father sitting up in the balcony, looking down on stage and saying, that one, that little girl, she's mine. And I've rescued her. And I'm not just rescued her to rescue her, although that's, that's the start. I love that little girl so much and she doesn't have to do anything else for me to be proud of her. But she's got some really cool stuff that she's gonna do in this kingdom and she's gonna make a big difference. And that dance that she's doing, that is just the start of something beautiful. And that dance in itself, that is beautiful. Whatever you have, God has a purpose for it. He's rescued you. He's qualified you. Your life has meaning. Not only can God use you in this great eternal mission, he created you for this mission. He trained you for this mission. It's if you choose to accept that mission, whatever it is. The rest of Exodus 19 is is just God coming down and the power and the fear that it invokes because a holy God we've never seen before and it's, He's so powerful. And Pastor Matt does such a great job in our Exodus devotionals that we're putting on our YouTube channel, Kingsway Christian Church. He really explains the fear of God and the might of God. And I encourage you to go watch it if you haven't watched it. It was back on February the 19th and then February the 20th. We talked about the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. That that is that new covenant. These are the laws I'm asking you to follow. But the problem, well, we know the problem, right? They don't follow the laws. And so when we read verse six, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It doesn't make sense, God. We're not set apart because we're sinning just like everybody else. And so that's why Jesus came because he didn't sin. 
He's our holy priest. It's interesting to me that New Testament Jews missed God in the flesh. They missed Jesus. And I wonder if they were looking for that thunder and lightning and that powerful God to come down and reign and take over Rome at the time of Jesus or whatever kingdoms over time there have been. That's how God's gonna reign. We read in Hebrews 12, verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. This is Exodus 19. This is what they're referencing. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no word further be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. It was holy ground. It was set apart. The sight so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Can you imagine a God like that? But the writer of Hebrews pivots and twists the story in the very next verse. And this is our reality as followers of Jesus. If you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is for you. In verse 22, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church, that's us, of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus the mediator, it sounds like a high priest working between heaven and man. Mediator of a new covenant into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We are the church. We are a new kingdom. You are part of that. Our high priest is Jesus, better than Aaron. First Peter 2 continues that now that you have tasted the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, you feel rejected? We know Jesus was, he can, he can relate. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You're precious to God. Being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can I be used by God? Really? I'm part of that spiritual house. I'm a part of that royal priesthood. Me? I didn't think so. But God throughout my life has just shown me over and over again that he wants to use me. This tall, awkward kid. In Ohio, I got to speak at different high schools and I realized a lot of us don't get that opportunity. It was really cool that I could share my testimony about how God has changed my life. And so one time I was at Liberty Benton High School a small school in Northwest Ohio, a school that Aaron Kraft went to. Any Buckeye, Ohio State basketball fans? I know Matt's not here, so I got to reference Ohio. I see a hand up there. Aaron Kraft, Ohio loves, and he went to Liberty Benton, a good Christian guy. And, and so there I was, we were starting an FCA group, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes group, and there were a hundred or so kids. I shared about how God's changed my life. I invited them to follow Jesus and, and then went home. I didn't really do follow-up very well. A couple years later, I was starting another FCA group at the University of Northwestern Ohio, small technical college. And this guy named Arian came up to me and he said, that day you came to Liberty Benton, I accepted Jesus. And I was like, are you serious? I'd heard here and there that people you know, were impacted by the stories God has written on my life. But that was the first time that someone vocalized it. And he said, that, what you said, I connected with because I was an awkward high school student at the time. 
And Arian ended up going to church with me during college and he was baptized and started serving the students because his life had been changed in student ministry. And today he's married and lives in Columbus and has a job in his mid-20s and he helps the students at the church. It's a beautiful story of God working simply because I shared my story. I think of my friend Ray Baker, who's on the Connect team and also a life group leader and how he shares his life And his home with his life group is just so beautiful. He and his wife felt called to start a new life group several years ago and and found people that were not connected at all. And they all came together. And now they go on camping trips together and they did a murder mystery and they're growing in their faith. And people have been baptized simply because the bakers care and they share their lives. I think of a prayer this week from one mom to another. Both their kids are going through life-threatening things. And I can pray, but the way this mom prayed, oh, she gave her heart and her pain, and she let that other mom know that I'm with you, and I'll be with you. She shared in the pain. You can serve. What if I told you God made you to help others? If we just had our heads up and our eyes open to the pain that is constantly around us, the people that are hurting, if we just used our gifts, our abilities, our time, we can make a difference. I want to finish up back in Exodus 19. I love getting the chance to talk to Pastor Matt about sermons and just how to create them and how to build this time. And and he said every week he waits for that aha moment. He gets to this point where it's just, that's it. That's what our church needs. That's going to be the driving point. And he's so excited and it comes and he shares it. And this was my aha moment for this. So if it helps to close your eyes, to picture this scene, go go for it. This is powerful. (laughs) It was to me. We're back in verse 9 in Exodus 19. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. The third day. Huh. I just stopped when I read that. The third day, we need to be ready by. We've said it before, but the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, they think circularly, they don't think linearly. And so whenever you're reading scripture, you're hearing stories and you hear something and then 2,000 years later, you hear the same thing. God is probably up to something. And so if he was working in Exodus on the third day and then he was working in the gospels on the third day, we should perk our ears up and we should say, okay, God, what do you have for us? Something's happening here, the third day. Because we read in the gospels on the third day, Jesus came back to life. He died and came back to life, and he walked out of the tomb. In Exodus, think of what the people are preparing for. They're preparing for this third day. They're preparing to become kingdom of priests. They're preparing to be pure before God. Remember, they have to wash their clothes. They have to make them white. They're looking forward to that third day. 
And on the third day, Jesus came out of the tomb and he makes us pure before God. And he makes us a kingdom of priests. Do you see it? Do you see the new covenant coming to life? In the Old Testament, they're scrubbing their clothes and they are dirty and, and they just won't become white. God, we're trying and we're fasting and we're abstaining from all kinds of things so that we're ready for you on that third day. And then Jesus rises from the dead and he comes out of the tomb and he says, here's your clothes. Here's your clothes. I put some blood on them and now they're all white. All you have to do is accept them. Do you see what God's been pointing to all along? A new high priest, a new savior, a new king. His name is Jesus. And today, if you have never received your white clothes, you can. If you're watching at home online, you can. If you're here in this room and you say, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to be forgiven. I want my life to make a difference. I want to be baptized by immersion because I've never felt that before. Raise your hand now. If you want to join this kingdom, if you want to be forgiven, raise your hand. Let's pray. God, I'm keeping my hand up on purpose because I cannot clean my clothes. Oh, it's your blood, Jesus. I thank you that you have handed me new clothes. And they are white as snow. And you make me clean. And then you accept me into your kingdom. And then from there you say, let's go. <laughs> we got stuff to do. We got people to show more love to. I think of having my head up and my eyes open and I'm walking with you. And, and together we're seeing who we can bring along with us into heaven. And so God, may that picture be in our minds every day. Each heart here each heart listening at home. God, may we receive the fullness of your grace, of your new covenant, and may we do something mighty with it, not just because we can, but because you can. In Jesus' name, amen.